When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty, and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty, or a stranger, or needing clothes, or sick, or in prison, and did not help you? He will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. People are not always sure, but St. Giles is in fact part of the Church of England. And as part of the Church of England, we follow uh, the church year. And today is the end of the church year. Next Sunday marks the beginning of the church year, the church calendar. And uh, at the end of the church year, the feast that we celebrate is always the feast of Christ the King. And our reading uh, this morning is the reading set um, for today. It's always a sobering thing to hear of the final judgment, and it's a sobering thing uh, to speak on it as well. So let's just stop uh, for a moment and pray. Only Father, may the words of my mouth and the thoughts of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. 
Some of you, this might be a new passage, maybe the first time you've heard this reading. For others, it will be very familiar, uh, a reading you've heard many times, a speech, a sermon uh, that Jesus gave that you heard many uh, sermons on itself. This morning, I want to just uh, look at a few uh, details in this story that perhaps you might not uh, notice before. If you have, uh, it's been a while since they were brought into the focus or brought into the spotlight. Some, some not kind of great insights, uh, but something just for us to think about and think upon as we uh, enter into the Advent season. The first is this. In this, re- in this reading... In this passage, Jesus identifies himself as the Son of Man. Jesus will often speak of himself in different ways, uh, talk about his ministry uh, in different ways, describe himself uh, in different ways. Some of these are very familiar, others are not so. We're used to being reminded of Jesus calling himself the light of the world. It's a a theme that runs through Advent and on into Christmas. We're used to Jesus uh, calling himself uh, the Good Shepherd. Here he refers to himself as the Son of Man. And actually this was a phrase, a title, that Jesus used often again and again about himself. In some of his most famous sayings, Jesus refers to himself in this way. Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. When talking about what Jesus came to do, he said this. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. As his final days approached, he met with his disciples, and he told them what was about to happen, and this was how he said it. We are going to Jerusalem, and there the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and they will condemn him to death. I don't think there can be any doubt about who Jesus is referring to. When he talks about the Son of Man, he's referring to himself. But if there was any doubt, then remember this conversation earlier on in Matthew's Gospel in chapter 16. Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, and he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? Peter replied, some say Elijah, some say John the Baptist, some say one of the prophets. And Jesus said, who do you say I am? Jesus identifies himself as the son of man. Let's just remind ourselves how he begins uh, this sermon in Matthew's gospel. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right, and the goats on his left. Jesus is not talking about some other figure. He's referring to himself. This is a remarkable claim. This is an incredible claim. This is as astonishing as the other claims that Jesus makes. 
that he is the light of the world, that he is the way, the truth, and the life, that he is the bread from heaven. Here Jesus says, he will judge the nations of the earth. Jesus identifies himself as the son of man. And in doing so, he presumes to be the coming king who will judge the nations of the earth. I wonder if you would uh, pick up your Bibles um, in the pews or in the, in, the, in the seats and turn to page 892. We're in Daniel 7 there. And Daniel is a, is a strange book. Uh, it's known as uh, apocalyptic literature. It's kind of visionary, it's poetic, uh, it's, it's, it's quite hard uh, to understand. It's not a book that we, we journey into off, often. But here Daniel has a vision. And Daniel has a vision of the day of judgment, the final day, the day when history will cease. I'm going to just read from verse 9. Thrones, notice that thrones, plural, thrones were set in place. And the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow. The hair of his head was white like wool. His throne was a flaming fire, or was flaming with fire. Its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court was seated and the books were opened. This is a vision of heaven. This is a vision of the day of judgment. This is a vision of when uh, the Lord will call all people to account for the words they've spoken, the life they've lived. The books are opened. This is God on the throne, the ancient of days, the beginning and the end, the alpha and the omega. And to continue on verse 13. In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. His kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. This vision of Daniel was recorded hundreds of years before Jesus. It'd be familiar to the rabbis, uh, the chief priests, uh, those who heard Jesus teaching in the temple courts. And when Jesus says, I am the Son of Man, Jesus says, I am this one. I am this one who will walk into the kingdom of heaven, who will be ushered into the presence of the Ancient of Days. I am the one who will have a throne prepared beside his throne. I'm the one who will be given all authority, glory, and power. I'm the one who will be worshipped by nations. I'm the one whose kingdom will not pass away. This is an incredible claim. 
This is not a claim that I make. This is not a claim I make about the Lord Jesus. This is a claim the Lord Jesus makes to himself, and I point you to. I direct you to. Just as an aside, this is a claim that runs completely counter to what many people think of Jesus today. There's a hypothesis around, I don't know if you've uh, come across it, I'm going to call it the Dan Brown hypothesis. You've seen the Da Vinci Code, maybe read uh, some of the books. He's put in popular form uh, an idea that many people have had. And the idea goes something like this. Jesus was a wonderful person. Jesus was an inspiring figure. Uh, His teaching was fantastic. He told people to love God and to love one another. He was a humble carpenter from Nazareth. He was a wandering preacher and a healer. And he preached love for everybody. And he preached tolerance and mutual respect. And he, he treated everybody as equal, as a child of God. And then after him came his followers and they they loved the teaching of Jesus and they spread the teaching of Jesus and and the church grew and the church spread. As the church grew and the church spread, its influence uh, uh, grew. So goes the Dan Brown hypothesis. And as its influence grew, people were attracted uh, to the church and wanted to take positions of leadership in the church. And they saw the church as a way of uh, increasing their power. And so they took that simple message of Jesus and they twisted it and they added to it and they developed it. And they said Jesus was the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and that you must obey him in every way. And in doing so, you must obey them. And they aggregated to themselves power. And the church became hierarchical and the church became patriarchal and the church became misogynist. As these men, and Paul was one of the the chief leaders of the church, as they twisted that simple, loving message of Jesus, as they made him this divine Messiah figure and aggregated to themselves power. You might have heard uh, that take on Jesus. You might have read it in the Da Vinci Code. You might have read it in other, other books. I've seen YouTube videos expounding it. Your children will have been exposed to that message in their RE lessons. It's the common kind of secular contemporary take on who Jesus is. But consider this. That simple message of Jesus, that humble message of Jesus contains these words. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory and all nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. These words are from Matthew's Gospel. One of the things that scholars agree on, uh, whatever their kind of uh, private personal view of Jesus, is that Matthew's Gospel was one of the first books of the New Testament to be written. There's some debate about when it was written. It could have been AD 60, it could have been AD 90, but certainly within uh, 30 or 60 years of the Lord Jesus. This is one of the earliest texts, not a, not a later edition. 
This is something that was uh, written by the very first Christians as they began to die out and they wanted to record the message of Jesus, the words of Jesus, so future generations would have them. This wasn't written by uh, church leaders 200 or 300 years later. This wasn't written by men of uh, power and influence. This was written by the church in its earliest days, one of the first texts. And in here, throughout this uh, gospel and the other gospels too, Jesus claims to be the Son of Man. And as he makes that claim, he claims to be the coming king and judge who will judge the nations of the earth. When you look closely at it, the Dan Brown hypothesis soon unravels. You might not believe that Jesus is coming again. You might not believe that he is the king of kings and lords of lords. You might not believe that he is uh, the coming one to judge the nations of the earth. But Jesus believed he was. And his followers believed he was. Second thing, or third thing in this uh, passage... He refers to himself as the son of man. He uh, refers to himself as the coming judge and king. He speaks of his brothers suffering trials. There's a group of people in this, uh, in this talk. Hesitate to call it a parable. I don't think it's quite a, a parable. He says there are those who are hungry, who are thirsty, who are strangers, who are naked, who are sick, who are imprisoned. And they'll have care offered to them, and and care offered to them is care offered to the Lord Jesus. And some will offer that care, and others will deny that care. And and Jesus said they'll be judged on account of how they respond to these people. And the question is asked, well, when, when did we do this, or when did we not do this? And Jesus says, well, whatever you did to the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. Which begs the question, who are these brothers of mine? Who are these hungry, these thirsty, these naked, these strangers, these impoverished people? Who are these people imprisoned? For many years, I, like like many of us, thought, well, it's just people in prison. It's just people who are poor. It's just people who are hungry. It's just people who are thirsty. But a closer reading reveals, actually, it's not. These brothers of mine who are hungry, who are thirsty, who are naked, who are strangers, who are imprisoned. Jesus was once asked, who are your brothers? Who are your sisters? Who are the least of these who are your brothers? Do you know how he responded? Matthew 12, verse 48. Gesturing to his disciples, he said, Here are my brothers. Whoever does the will of my father is my brother, my sister, my mother. He's just been speaking about being a follower of him. He's just been talking about a disciple being one who takes up his cross and follows him. 
And he's asked the question, who, who really are your brothers? And he says, you, my disciples. You, the least of people. You who take up your cross and follow me. If you take up your cross and follow me, if you deny yourself and come after me, if you hear my call and commit yourself to me, then you are my brother and my sister. And in this sermon, Jesus warns that some of his brothers will be hungry and some of his sisters will be thirsty and some will be naked and some will be shunned and treated as a stranger and some will be imprisoned. And to care for these least of his will be to care for him. And to oppress these least of his will be to oppress him. How could we have missed this? How could we have not seen this? This is a a wonderful affirmation of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Could it be that we live in the West? Could it be that the Western church is not poor? but is rich, and is not in hardship, but is comfortable. I wonder what it would be like to read these words in Egypt, to be a Coptic Christian, to have had a terrorist group announce that they will wipe you from the face of the earth. Then you might see yourself as a stranger. You might be hungry. You might be worried for your children. Or to read these words in a secret underground church in North Korea. We are scared stiff to tell anybody that you're a a follower of Jesus because you will lose your job and you will lose your family and you will be put in prison. Or to be a a Dalit uh, Christian convert in India. Where to be a follower of Jesus is to be cut off from your community. To be denied access to education to lose your job. Is Jesus saying, don't care for the poor? Of course not. The poor you will have for you always. We've got the stories of him blessing the lepers, dining with the prostitutes. He's teaching of the good Samaritan. His call for his followers to be those who will reach out to those who are poor, who are marginalized, those who are on the edges of our society. He says, you'll be found in my brothers, or I'll be found in my brothers and sisters. And they are those who take up their cross and follow me. And fourthly, look how closely he identifies with his people. Whoever ministers to the least of these, ministers to me. Service to his people is service to him. Rejection of his people is rejection of him. Reminded of the conversion of of Saul, that one who Dan uh, Brown would say corrupted the message of Jesus and uh, made it his own. You read the story of his conversion uh, in the book of Acts. Uh, Saul is a rabbi, he's a, he's a teacher, he's a leader, he's persecuting the church. He's one of those who's going around and throwing the, the Christians out of their homes, uh, seeing them killed, um, depriving them of their livelihoods. 
And as he travels to Damascus to, to harass the church there, he's blinded by a light from heaven. And there's a voice that speaks in that light. And do you remember the words that are said? Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Not why do you persecute my church? Not why do you persecute my brothers and sisters? Why do you persecute me? This is called the conversion of Saul. I I think of it more as the unraveling of Saul. Saul is completely undone, and then he's built back up again. But he is unraveled. He's literally blinded by the light. He's taken completely by surprise. As a religious man, he's dedicated his whole life to, to defending the truth of who he thinks God is, and that's led him to persecute the church. And, and suddenly, a voice from heaven says, why do you persecute me? And so he cries out, who are you, Lord? Who are you, Lord? And the voice says, I am Jesus, who you persecute. See how closely the Lord identifies with his people. So what does this mean for us uh, today? Consider seriously the claims of Jesus. Do not take him too lightly. You cannot esteem him too highly. He is the son of man. He will come again with his angels in glory. He will judge the living and the dead. Do not treat him too lightly. Remember, he is the king of kings and lord of lords. And one day, every knee will bow before him, either in love and service or in fear. Look how closely he identifies with his people. As much as you do it for the least of these, you do it for me. How closely he identifies with us, how closely he identifies with his suffering church throughout the world. Let us be people who minister to that church, who serve that church. We support it through organisations like uh, Open Doors, uh, Christian Solidarity Worldwide, uh, the Barnabas Trust, as many uh, Christian agencies supporting uh, the suffering church. Let's pray for our brothers and sisters around the world who know a hardship uh, we will never know. Let's be the people who minister to those our Lord loves and in whom he is found. Let's pray. So Lord, we pray that you would take the words of our Lord Jesus and you would uh, seal them in our hearts that we would not esteem him too lightly but would see him for who he truly is, a king like no other, a lord like no other one who left the throne of heaven and embraced a manger, one who offered his back to the cross for those whom he loved. Lord, 
May we live our lives in the light of the cross and the resurrection and in the knowledge that one day he will come again and all will stand before him. In his name we pray. Amen.